All right, good morning, everyone. How are you guys all doing? Good, good. A little foggy out there this morning when I woke up at uh, 4 o'clock this morning. I was like, uh, wake up before the birds. When you get old, that's what happens. You beat the birds. And I'm looking out, and it's like a little bit of fog starting to come around. And then it was like about 5.30. I was working, and I was like, oh, my gosh, there's a ton of fog coming in. And I'm driving out of here, and there's like fog everywhere. I think it's kind of cool. I always like fog anyway. It's kind of mysterious to me. Like a surreal. I, I always just thought it was really cool. It actually makes me feel like, uh, you know, in Genesis, when it talks about, when we studied in Genesis, that that, that, that mist that was up around the ground, you know, when, when the Lord first created the earth, it was pretty cool. So I was just thinking about that. And the birds flying across and right back and forth. And it's from, like, I wonder what that day, the first day of creation was like. But anyways, um, good to have you guys all here. Um, we're going to, uh, we're actually, we're almost near the end of, pretty much near the end of the book of Romans. Next Sunday is going to be our last uh, class in Romans. And as I said, I've been announcing for quite a while, we're going to do the book of Jonah. I think you're really going to enjoy the book of Jonah. There's a lot of cool stuff in that book. And of course, it'll go a lot faster than Romans. Romans was a, 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 a long, uh, long book to do. And we're going to actually have over 500 hours, but uh, we really accomplished a lot by doing the Book of Romans. When you go through the Book of Romans, verse by verse, like we did, you, you, you really are going to benefit. You really don't realize it now, but you will later on if you haven't already. But uh, we will be doing the Book of Jonah. And um, just so you know, our congregational songs are going to be Majesty. I think uh, tell you, uh, the, you know, the kids uh, and uh, had uh, distributed the uh, songs. Yet class notes are there. For today's class, but the first congregational song is going to be Majesty, so just so you know. And uh, thank you, for, uh, first of all, uh, to uh, the Thompsons for opening up their home again to us. And uh, we have the great thing I was just telling you guys upstairs is that, you know, with this new church, and you know, after, after service Sunday, we have this brunch upstairs that Jody and the ladies, you know, uh, all, you, all the ladies are prepared. It's like, I'm going to gain 15 pounds. I, I just been getting, I've been looking pretty good lately, and I'm starting to, that's not from sucking it in. And then I'm going to gain 15 pounds again with this church. But uh, <laughs> it's all right, I suppose. Suffering for Jesus, right? But anyways, also, it's, uh, just want you to know also that I've been getting a lot of, um, a lot of uh, emails and a lot of uh, notes and people think, sending me things and encouraging us in, with this new church. So just want you to know that you have a lot of ministries and people out there, Christians, throughout the country and the world that are actually praying for us. And so be aware of that. Because I find that a great encouragement as well to know that other believers are praying for us. But uh, before we get underway, before we have our service, we're going to take a moment of silent prayer as we normally do. Remember when we when we're having uh, when we're worshiping our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and God the Father uh, through the study of His Word or singing or praying, we have to make sure that we're in fellowship with Him, and we do that by confessing. First of all, by confessing our sins if necessary. It states in First John one nine, if we confess our sins to the Father. He, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins with the result that He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. So it's that easy to get back in fellowship with God because the Father is restoring you to fellowship with Himself because of what His Son did at the cross. In the same way we're saved because of who Jesus is and what He did at the cross, so we're restored to fellowship when we confess our sins. Once we've done that, now we need to bring our thoughts into obedience to what the Spirit says. And of course, He speaks to us through the teaching of the Word of God, which He inspired and that's when we're being filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, if you read Ephesians 5.18, it 
as a result of obeying that command and letting the word of Christ richly dwell in your soul, the results of obeying, obeying those two commands is that we'll be, uh, we'll be making melody in our hearts. One of the things is uh, expressions of being filled with the Spirit is singing, uh, whether it's audibly or internally to oneself, and uh, thankfulness to God. So this is what God wants us to worship Him in spirit and truth, as, as the Lord told the woman at the well in John 4.23. So this is a very, very important time because we want to know and hear and understand what the Spirit is saying, uh, saying to us. Whether it's in the, the song service or the teaching of the Word of God or in prayer, we want to be able to be sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction and uh, what He has to say to all of us. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this glorious morning that you've given us, all the wonderful blessings that you've given us because we're in union with your Son. We thank you for the fact that you loved us with a love that is self-sacrificial, that is eternal. We thank you for sacrificing your Son for us, sending him into the world to become a human being and to die for our sins on the cross, to deliver us from Satan and sin and bring us to you, Father, so that we can have a relationship and fellowship with you. We know, Father, that we have no merit, that we stand on your grace, and we know that we know, don't earn or deserve anything, including the wonderful blessings that you've given us, and that all praise and glory goes to you and your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Father, for uh, the people that you brought here this morning, your children that are here, that want to worship you and your Son, Jesus Christ, and sing out to you and worship you and to study your word, to listen to what you have to say and to pray to you. We thank you and to have fellowship with each other and yourself and your Son and the Spirit. We just thank you for each and every one of them. And we just uh, thank you, Father, for the Bible, the completed canon of Scripture, the gift of the Holy Spirit, who makes your word real and understandable to us, who enables us to worship you and to do your will for our lives. And we just uh, we thank you for the Thompsons opening up their home and the people that are also uh, listening on Pal Talk and other parts of this country and the world that are also uh, love you and your Son, Jesus Christ, and want to worship you and your Son and to have fellowship with the body of Christ. And we just pray, Father, that each and every one of them in the audience would have uh, sensitivity to the Spirit's guidance and direction, that they would pay close attention to what the Spirit will say to us here this morning, and that they would, uh, they would receive everything that they need to go forward in your plan for their lives, and we can go forward in the plan that you have for this church. We also pray that you would give grace to the communicator, help him to impart your full counsel uh, to your people in a fashion that would bring glory to you and your Son, Jesus Christ, and minister to them. And also, Father, we lift up our leaders. We pray for President Obama and his cabinet, the military, and the executive, judicial, legislative branches of our federal, state, and local governments, the military, covert operations, uh, those uh, that are in the, uh, working in the public domain, doctors, nurses, firefighters, police officers, we just pray for them, we thank you for them, and we just pray, Father, that you would give our leaders the wisdom and the moral courage to lead this nation and expose them to the gospel, whether it's for their salvation or their spiritual growth as believers. 
And again, we pray that you would help us here in the church to understand that we're to pray for our leaders and all those in authority, as your word states in 1 Timothy 2, 1-8, so that we might live a tranquil and peaceful life here on this earth. And we pray, Father, also that you would continue to increase our numbers here in quality and quantity. And we just pray, Father, that as a result of this uh, service, that you and your Son, Jesus Christ, would be lifted up and glorified and the body of Christ spiritually uh, edified. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name, we pray for these things. Amen. Could you all rise, please? We're going to sing Majesty. Everybody sing. You can if you know the song. It's a little bit of a rocker. Everybody 
I gets my butt up and down. I'm ready to go. You know, people don't realize playing music is a physical thing, playing guitar and uh, singing, it's a physical thing. You really don't realize it. Well, there's a few calories. Now you can yeah, now I can eat. <laughs> you can eat it. I burned it off and I can go eat the donuts upstairs or whatever. All right, good morning again. Uh, could you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 16, verse 16? Romans chapter 16, verse 16. And uh, we're going to uh, cover verses 16, 17, and 18 here this morning. We're going to find that Paul requests that the Roman believers greet one another, and also he wants them to avoid what we called in the, uh, the, among uh, Bible teachers the Judaizers. Judaizers were individuals that were both Jewish Christians and uh, Jewish unbelievers who try to put you under the Mosaic Law. They try to say you had to get circumcised to get saved. We saw that this past week in Acts 15, the first church council was all because of these individuals. So theologians call them, and Bible expositors call them the Judaizers, though the name is not found in the Bible. They use that as a, a, a term to describe these individuals who try to put Christians, Gentile Christians, and uh, under the law. And of course, we're not under the law, we're under grace. And the minute we believe in Jesus Christ, we're under God's grace policy. And uh, if you want to put yourself under the law, you better live your, your life perfectly according to the law. Perfectly, otherwise you're condemned. That's why the law condemns all of us in the human race, because we have a sin nature. We can't keep the law perfectly. Only the God-man, the perfect sinless God-man, Jesus Christ, was able to keep the law. So Paul is uh, going to talk to the Roman believers in these verses here this morning in Romans 16 to protect them. And he wanted to protect them because these individuals, the Judaizers, caused a lot of problems in the early first century church. As I said before, they, the first church council was because of these individuals. And they caused divisions and they caused problems in the Gentile churches, like in Galatia. The whole book of Galatians is dealing with the Galatian believers who were Gentiles and their attitude toward the law. And also they're, they're listening to these false teachers. These false teachers that told you you had to get saved by keeping the law or keeping circumcision. And so these individuals caused a lot of problems in the early first century church. Now, we don't have a, a tremendous problem here in America with, with people like that who try to keep you under the law. I think the Seventh-day Adventists are big into the law. But primarily, we, we can derive certain principles uh, to, in our day and age that uh, we might not have a problem with individuals like the Judaizers, but we might have problems with other Christians and false and Christian who call them Christians, uh, Christians, and they fall, teach false doctrine. Like you could lose your salvation. That's something that you should never compromise on. Or the person of Christ. Those things are dangerous. When you say that you, uh, when you could lose your salvation, that's heretical. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. If you were saved by on the merits of Christ and in God's grace policy, meaning you don't earn or deserve anything, then how could you lose? your salvation for any sin that you commit after your conversion when you weren't saved on the merits of yourself in the first place. You were saved on God's grace. And so this is a very important study that we're going to have here this morning. Now in Romans 16, 16, Paul commanded the Roman believers to greet one another with a holy kiss. And he also tells them that all the churches that from Jerusalem to Illyricum that he started, all the Christian churches there, and the ones he didn't start, were sending their greetings to the Roman believers. And I'll tell you why that was the case. Now look at Romans 16, 16. He says, Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now the first uh, 
uh, command that we say greet one another with a holy kiss. In Western civilization, in our civilization, in the 21st century in America, this kiss would be equivalent to a hug or a handshake. Uh, for instance, uh, in other parts of the world, they still do this. They still kiss on the cheek, men kissing men on the cheek. And we see that we don't do that here in America. It's the handshake or it's the hug. I mean, I'm not going to go up and kiss Bill on the cheek or Titus on the cheek. They'll slap me around if I do that. So they, they let their wives do the kissing on the cheek. I'm not doing that. But this was a way, this was a way to, uh, to show affection for each other. This was one of the things that we should be doing. We should have affection for each other in the body of Christ. So when he says a holy kiss, the word holy there indicates that this kiss is reserved exclusively for our fellow Christians. Now, it was standard. This request was standard at the end of Paul's letters, and it appears in Peter's letters as well. It says in 1 Corinthians, uh, let me read uh, from the Net Bible a couple of these uh, passages. In 1 Corinthians 16.20, it's in your notes, by the way. He says in 1 Corinthians 16.20, all the brothers and sisters saying greetings, greet one another with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13.12, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. First uh, Thessalonians 5.26 Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. And then Peter uses the expression holy kiss as well. He says in 1 Peter 5.14 Greet one another with a loving kiss. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So this was actually an expression of affection between believers. This should be affection between believers. Uh, a lot of uh, When I was taught, I was taught that uh, when I first early on in Christianity that you're to love one another like God does, impersonal, unconditional love. But I've, as I study my Bible, it's deeper than that. God's love is self-sacrificial. We should have a self-sacrificial love, just like God sacrificed for us and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we also, it's self-sacrificial, but it's also going to manifest itself in a personal affection, love and affection for each other. So when we, we talk about God's love, it's not a cool thing, or it's a, it, it depends on the situation you're in as to what uh, type of uh, uh, aspect of God's love you're going to use. As I said before, uh, God's love can be impersonal. For instance, it says in John 3.16, God so loved the world and that He gave His uniquely born Son that whoever believes in Him shall never perish but have eternal life. The world was obnoxious to God. We were sinners. And God's holy, perfect standards. So we were disgusting to God. So yet He loved us in an impersonal sense, meaning He sent His Son to the cross for us, even though there was nothing attractive about the human race to God, because we were all sinners by nature and by practice. We were in Adam. And uh, so that was impersonal. God loved us without us being attracted to Him. But as believers, uh, and so when, for instance, for let's take that type of uh, aspect of God's love, in relation to each other and all men. If somebody in your life is uh, obnoxious, or let's say they're a Christian that's an apostasy, living in gross immorality, or they're, in, they're moral degenerates and they're self-righteous and, and, uh, and hypocritical, uh, how do we, how do, and they're living a lifestyle like that, how do we heal? Then we revert to this impersonal, unconditional love. We forgive them and are patient and tolerant with them because God has been that way when we were His enemies. And tolerant and patient and forgiving of us. So depending upon the situation, yeah, and personal love we, we need to use. However, what if we our fellow Christians and we are having worship service with our fellow Christians and we're around them and they're in fellowship with God and they're living a spiritual life and they're positive to the Word of God and they're not involved in gross immorality and they're not involved in a, in a lifestyle of moral degeneracy, being self-righteous and thinking they're better than other people. When they're in fellowship with God, filled with the Spirit, we can be show that personal love and affection 
affection for each other and we revert to that. And this is the way the love that, uh, that is in, among members of the Trinity, uh, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all love each other with this personal love and affection. Deep love and affection. And that's the way we should have, that's what we should have for each other. It says in Romans 12.10, Paul commands the Roman believers to continue to make it their habit to be affectionate with one another. My translation of that verse, it says, concerning affection among spiritual brothers and sisters, all of you must continue to make it your habit to be affectionate with one another. I think in your, your translations, the New American Standard, it's called brotherly love. It talks about our personal love and affection for one another. Now, how do we do this? For instance, for instance uh, what if you're not an affectionate, per an affectionate person by nature? Maybe you came from a family that wasn't very affectionate. I mean, I, I came from a family that they were very affectionate. I, so affection is not something that's hard for me to have. Uh, it, it, uh, actually, my, I remember growing up, my parents, I remember my mother, and father, my picture in my head of my mother and my father from a very early age, and I was fortunate because I know everybody's parents weren't like this, but my mother and father, my father was always hugging and, 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 uh, and you know, squeezing and kissing my mother. It was great. And pinching her too. And, you know, I mean, it was like, that's what they did. That was a, that's normal between a husband and wife. Some, some people it's not. But, you know, I was raised in that, so it was easy for me to be affectionate. You like the pinching one. That don't tell my, my mother that I told you that. But anyways, she would care. But they'd, married, they'd be married 50 years in February. Can you imagine that? I would be smacking them after 50 years, not uh, pinching them. But anyways, she has more love than I have. But uh, that, that, that love, um, that, uh, that personal love and affection, if we weren't brought up in a family like that, how do, how do we acquire this love and affection? It's from the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do anything to work it up. It's not let go, let God. What it is, is that God will teach you His Word. He will teach you, you and I, as He has, in the book of Romans, how to love each other. And then when we listen to what the Spirit says and obey it, the Spirit will produce this in our lives. So it's not let go, let God. It's obey God and the Spirit will do these things for you. And it takes practice. Don't be frustrated if you don't, if you don't uh, get this love in one another as God has, in Christ has loved you. And you don't, you can't, it's hard for you. Hey, with practice it will come. Christianity is just like anything. It, the more you practice what Jesus, the Holy Spirit teaches us, and what Jesus, the mind of Christ, teaches us in the Bible, the more you practice these things, you're going to fail from time to time. Confess it and then do, the, do what it, He tells you to do. The more you practice, the better you, you'll get it, at it. And that's just like with anything in life. So, this affection that Paul's talking about, when he says, greet one another with a holy kiss, or in our day and age, give each other a hug or a handshake. That is produced by the Holy Spirit in the believer when he obeys the command to love his fellow believers. Christ has loved him. Hold your place. Look at John's Gospel. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 13. John 13. Look at verse 34. John 13, 34. Uh, this is, remember, Jesus wrote, uh, this was uh, said by Jesus on the night he was betrayed by Judas. He was going to the cross the next day. And this is some of his last words to the church. He says, a new commandment, John 13, 34. A new commandment, new in the sense of, uh, of uh, quality and character. I give to you, he says, that you love one another. Not, not the human love, 
It's a love that's produced by the Holy Spirit. Always remember that. This is a love that's divine that God wants us to have. And the Spirit produces this in our lives. How does He do it? When we obey His Word. So people mistake, oftentimes, this love. They think it's a human love. And they try to love this love with a human love. It's not going to happen. Let me give you an example how you know that you're not, uh, not doing it uh, according to the supernatural power of the Spirit. When someone does something to you, hurts you, hurts you bad, how do you handle it? Do you react and take out your revenge? Do you try to get them back? That's not... It. See, that means... See, now that person's become obnoxious to you. How are you healing it? If you're going back and giving them... Going tit for tat with them and get, trying to get back and saying things back to them and fighting with them, that is not... That, see, you've revealed to your... God has revealed to you that you're not living in this love. Okay? Now, what do we do about it? Confess the sin of trying to take out our own revenge... And listen to what he says. And do what he says. Obey what he says. Forgive. Love. When you love each other, you forgive. You're patient and tolerant. So when you don't say a patient and tolerant with somebody, and somebody says something that hurts you, and you, you get and you re react and try to get them back, that's, and this is good for marriages, people. When your husband or your wife does this to you, whoever, how do you handle it? Do you revert to, like, you know, burn the eggs on the guy so he can't eat for that day? I mean, do you trip him down the stairs? Do you yell and scream at her? I mean, what do you do? That's a sign when you yell and scream at her when she's ups upsetting to you, or vice versa, girls. When that happens, it shows that you're not living in God's love. Okay? Because if you're living in God's love, you will have that supernatural power that the Spirit gives you to put up with them to be patient and forgiving and tolerant each other. It's not... See, people are trying to do their marriages. Christians are trying to do their marriages and do their relationship with other Christians and other human beings according to human love. And that's when you're going to fail. That's what you, when you're going to get failed. When you get involved in anger, bitterness, um, revenge, gossip, that shows that you're living in that human love because once that person that you used to love is obnoxious to you, you go against them. That's a sign you're, you're, you've been operating in human love, not divine love. So this is the difference here. When he says, love one another as I have loved you, now you know what I'm talking about, that you also love one another. Then look, he says, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. And if you, you might be a believer, but if you don't operate in this love, you're demonstrating you're not a disciple of his. A disciple means, like you guys, that you're serious students of the Word of God. You take in the Word of God, you listen to the systematic study of the Word of God verse by verse, you're a student. That's what a disciple was. Somebody who was a serious student that listened to the teacher and followed his example and put it into practice, try to practice what he had taught. So he says, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So if the Roman believers were going to obey this command in Romans 16, 16, which you can go back to, if they were going to obey the command to greet one another with a holy kiss, it'd have to be under the power of the Holy Spirit. What does it say in Galatians 5.22? The first thing it mentions about the fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love. God's love. Spirit produces it, not our flesh. See, the flesh can fake us out. We can think we're doing it, as I said before, when we're really not. So it all starts, this love, in the head. The Bible says your heart is in your head. It doesn't talk about the heart as your cardiovascular system. The heart is where you do your thinking. It's where you have your volition, 
we make decisions, your mentality of your soul, your conscience, all these things reside in the Carthea, it's called, in the, in the New Testament. In the Lave, in the Old Testament, it's called translated heart, your Bibles. Your heart, where you do your thinking, that's where your, it all starts. Listen to the Spirit, put him, let Him talk to your heart and your human spirit, and He will teach you how to love. And He's been doing that for us, and now all we have to do is go out and practice. What do we do when we fail? Confess it. Then what do we do? Do what He tells us to do. Practice what He's teaching us. Now, Paul passes along this greeting to the Romans from the churches he planted because he wants the Roman believers to understand that they're not alone. And that the churches that he planted were identifying with them. And that he regarded them as worthy of respect. It's nice to know that you're not alone. I got a, For instance, we're starting up this new church. That's one of the great encouragements to me is the, the number of people who have come out of the woodwork in support of us. I've had... I've had people, I've had uh, uh, Pastor Bob McLaughlin I was ordained from and, uh, and George Amaral uh, expressing their support and, and giving up their prayers for us and Jim Ricard's ministry, I can't thank Jim Ricard enough who I got ordained with expressing their, their uh, concern and their giving up their prayers for this ministry and it's very encouraging because it says that we're not alone people from Africa from, from uh, Tasmania with Mike Fletcher on the other side of the planet uh, uh, John and Alex Alice over in Rhode Island that, uh, that Rhode Island woman is showing her response she's a part of our ministry as well all these people are. it's good to know that you're not alone see Paul's trying to tell the Roman believers that you're not alone you were in the heart of the Roman Empire, in the, the heart of heathenism in Rome in that day. And he's saying, you're not alone. We're all thinking about you. We're all praying for you. That's good to know. It's encouragement. And you, many times you might, and I've had it happen to me, and I'm sure many times you guys have had, when you're down low and, you don't, and you're, and you're you know, asking God to help you in a certain situation, whether it's uh, for the life of the church or yourself as a person in your personal realm, and you feel lifted up all of a sudden. That's prayers being answered and elect angels helping us, as it says in Hebrews 1.14, and the Spirit lifting us up and getting us through our trials and tribulations as a church and as individual believers. So Paul, when he passes along this greeting to the Roman churches, when he says, in Romans 16, he says, in Romans 16.16, 16, he says, Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. He passes along this greeting because he wants the, Rom the Romans to know that they're not alone. That the other churches consider them worthy of great respect. Now this emphasizes with Paul's readers in Rome that the churches that he planted from Jerusalem to Illyricum regarded the Roman believers as extremely important. Do you know that you're extremely important? Every single one. I'm not blowing smoke at you. Every single one of you and myself are extremely important to God. God has it in relation to His plan. And we're willing to help get His word out. Your giving of yourself, your time, your talent, your treasure, your prayers for this ministry are helping others. I was going through uh, this list of uh, people throughout the last two years that have ordered our materials to tell them we're at a different uh, website address and sending out these people and looking at their notes when they ordered stuff from us. The tremendous um, uh, gratitude that they had to this ministry for what we were providing. And so this was uh, with the books and the teaching and the website they, and the music. 
they they really really appreciate it you don't realize the kind of effect that you have on other people in other parts of the world and when you stand before Christ at the beam seat and get rewards you'll say what did I do he says, "Well, you you were as help help support Pastor Bill get the gospel out. You gave it that you gave you ten bucks, which you couldn't really afford. You gave that ten bucks. You often opened up your homes. You went out and you uh, you served in the church, trying to help other believers in the church. You you helped Pastor Bill trying to get the word of God out. That doesn't go unnoticed by God. He keeps a record of all these things, how you used your time, talent, and treasure, and your truth." And that's going to come back and be blessing for you. We might not all see it in this life. We'll probably most likely see it when we stand before Christ at the Beamer seat and get rewards for how we hand, use that, uh, how, whether we were a good steward or not with the time, talent, and treasure and truth that God gave us. Also, it's interesting when Paul says all the churches greet you to the Roman believers in Romans 16, 16, he says that because he's trying to build unity between the Roman church churches and the one he planted. And now listen to me. It's not possible to have unity with all churches. Let me repeat that. It's not possible to have church uh, unity with all churches. Why is that, Pastor Bill? Well, not all churches are teaching truth. Not all teachers, no, not, all, not all ministries are obedient to the Word of God. Some churches don't even believe, some denominations don't even believe that the Bible's inspired. Now, how can we have fellowship with them? Some churches don't even believe that Jesus is God. Some denominations don't even mention Jesus Christ. How can we have fellowship with somebody who dishonors your Lord and Savior? Could you have... If some, let's, say, let's say somebody says something bad about your father, or disrespects your father, or your, 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 somebody in your family. Do you want to have fellowship with them? No. The same thing in God's family. If somebody disrespects my Heavenly Father, or disrespects the Bible, or disrespects Jesus Christ, which is the Bible's in his mind and thinking, or says that the Holy Spirit is a power and not a person, they disrespect my God. How am I, why do I want to have fellowship with them? You don't. So this, is, this means this, this cause calls for discernment, and we're going to see this further on as we go further into our study this morning. So we, when we can have unity with, we can all agree on this with other churches, if they believe the same, that Jesus Christ is God. He died on the cross for our sins, and He rose from the dead on the third day to seat the right hand of the Father, and whoever believes in Him shall never perish but have eternal life. We believe that fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith, we can have fellowship. We can have experience the Lord's uh, Supper with uh, these believers. But if they reject the Word of God, if they reject salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone, and they think you could lose your salvation, why in the world would you want to have fellowship with that church? Because they're disrespecting God. They're disrespecting the teaching of the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where discernment comes in. Now in Romans 16, 17, as Paul warns the Roman believers to watch out for those Christians who cause divisions and temptations contrary to the doctrine they've been taught and that they were to avoid with avoid them. Don't even have fellowship with them. Because that is a, that, that's a sign of, that's an expression of church discipline. When somebody's out of fellowship and is antagonistic to the Word of God and contradicting the teaching of the apostles, he's saying don't fell fellowship with them as a rebuke to them. And if they repent, that meaning they change their attitude and confess the sin and do the right thing, then you can have fellowship with them. But till then, you're to avoid them. That's an expression of the love of God in our lives. So look at it says in Romans 16, 17. Now I urge you, brethren, 
Keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Paul's talking about the Judaizers there in context. That's the people in context he's saying the Roman believers are to avoid. Now, he doesn't explicitly identify these individuals in his teaching uh, here. But in chapters 2, 3, and 4 of the book of Romans, those chapters strongly suggest that he's referring to these Judaizers. Since these chapters are designed to specifically refute their legalistic teaching. Remember, the Judaizers... They thought to try to put Christians under the law. They try to say to people, you got to trust, uh, obey the law, and uh, take, get circumcised, keep the Sabbath, things like that. We're not under the law. Jesus Christ is the end of the law. All right. So what? So these individuals were causing a lot of problems because they their teaching contradicts grace and that salvation is through faith alone and Christ alone. So we know from chapters two, three, and four, Paul said. All you Jew and Gentiles throughout the earth, the whole human race, is guilty before a holy God. There's none righteous, no, not one. You're saved not by keeping the works of the law, but faith alone and Christ alone. That was refuting those Judaizers, their teaching. Now, further suggesting that Paul's referring to that which is caused by the Judaizers' teaching here in Romans 16, 17, is that Paul's epistles in the book of Acts reveal that the Judaizers caused division in the churches that Paul established from Jerusalem to Illyricum. So these individuals were a pain in the early first century church. Let me show you uh, uh, something about them. Look at, uh, let's start off. Uh, they originated with the Pharisees, by the way. So let me, let's take a look at them. Uh, we were in Mark's Gospel this past week. Let's go to it again. Start off there. And there's several passages, passages I want to show you about these individuals, the Judaizers, whom Paul's warning the Roman believers about in Romans 16, 17. Look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 7. Look at verse 1. Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 1. So the Judaizers try to put people into the law, and they originated from the Pharisees, their teaching, the rabbis. Look what it says in Mark 7, 1. Jesus had a hard time with these people. They were legalistic, they were hypocritical, they worried about the outward appearance rather than their heart, what was in their head. They, they, were, they were backstabbers, they, they were evil. They were evil. They portrayed themselves as moral, yet inside they were filled with dead men's bones, as Jesus said. They were whitewashed sepulchers that were filled with dead men's bones. The Jews, Jesus said that because the Jews would whitewash a tomb so that a Jew wouldn't come in contact with bones from a dead body because they would be ceremonially unclean and couldn't worship God in the temple. So they would whitewash the tomb. Jesus saying to the Pharisees that you're just like that. Now that's, Jesus said that in love to these people. And he went up to them face to face and said, that's, that's what they are. To tell them what they really are like. He didn't, you didn't fool me, Jesus said. So that's a, that, this is what the Judaizers came from. That kind of teaching, that kind of, uh, those kind of people, the Pharisees. Look at Matt, uh, Mark 7.1. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him. Just like a pack of dogs. When they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands. They were wicked neurotic. Thus observing the tradition of the elders. 
And again, no, it's not the tradition of the Bible, what the Bible teaches, but of the Jewish elders, the rabbis. So it wasn't in the scriptures, it wasn't in the Old Testament scriptures to do this. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked them, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, the rabbis, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, I love this, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. A hypocrite in the ancient world meant uh, that when they Greeks, it came from the Greeks. The Greeks would have plays. They'd have they'd wear these masks. They didn't wear makeup like they do today. They had masks. These they would hold up like this in front of their face, and they would portray themselves as somebody else. Jesus is saying that to them. You pretend that you're really moral and spiritual, but you're phony is what he's saying. You got a mask on because I God see into your heart what you really are like. So they put him on a show, he's saying. And rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people, the Jews, honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. They say, I love Jesus, but they don't do what Jesus says in the Bible. They make up their own rules and their own regulations that are not found in the Bible. And then he says in verse 7, But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. You know denominations like that. I came from a denomination like that where they tell you to do certain things that are not found in the Bible. That was an eye-opener for me when I first became a Christian and looked at the Bible. Why are we doing this in church? It's not in the Bible. Uh, nobody could give me an answer. So I said, you know, there's something wrong here. And I got out of that church. Look at it, it says in verse 8. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. And he was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Your own man. You care more about what man says than what God says, he's saying. Verse 10, for Moses says, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have, that would help you is Corbin, that is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother. Thus, invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, that you do many things such as that. He's saying to them, what the Jews would do, these Pharisees, is that instead of honoring their father and money, a mother and helping them with financial support when they're older, they would give the, to get away from doing that. They would go and they would give this so-called gift to God so that they wouldn't have to give it to their parents. Was, they were basically doing. They were following the tradition of the rabbis rather than what the Bible says to honor your father and mother, just so they wouldn't have to keep that commandment. Luke goes on to say about these in verse fourteen. After he had called the crowd to, uh, to uh, the crowd to him again, he began saying to them. Listen to me, all of you, and understand. By the way, the Pharisees, they walked away from Jesus when he said that. What do you think they th thought about that? They plotted to kill him. That's what they tried to do. When you tell people the truth, they hate you. Some, some people are like that. Instead of being humble, they go after you. Look at verse 14. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside of the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. Verse 16 is in brackets because some uh, the best translation, uh, best uh, uh, documents, uh, manuscripts don't have this verse. Some do. Verse 17. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable, and he said to them, "Are you so lacking in understanding? Also, do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not go into his heart, where his thinking is, not here in the chest, in the head is where the Bible says the heart is." 
So he says, because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. But look what it says. Thus he declared, all foods are clean. And the Judaizers taught, you have to keep the dietary regulations of the law. There's certain foods you can, that are unclean and certain foods that are clean. And they try to put the Gentiles, believers, Christians, under this law. And that's not for Gentile Christians in the church age. That was for Old Testament Israel. So that's where these guys came from. That's where these Pharisees came from. So look at Acts chapter 15. <coughs> and let me show you what problems they caused. Look at Acts chapter 15. Look at verse 1. So these people were very, very dangerous. We're getting a little picture of them. They're hypocritical. They're more concerned about what men think than what God thinks. They reject the Word of God, though they say they, 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 they love God. They say they love the God of the Bible, but they don't do what the God of the Bible says. Okay. Now look what it says in Acts 15, verse 1. The church is just getting going. Look what happens. Acts 15.1 Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, Christians, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. But Jesus said, you are saved by faith in Him. He also says, Jake Paul said this and Peter said this, through faith in Christ you're saved, not by keeping the works of the law. So these guys are contradicting with the apostles and the Lord's teaching. In fact, the teaching of the Old Testament. Because it says Abraham believed in God and it was accounted in his righteousness. He didn't keep the law. Abraham didn't have the law. The law came 430 years after Abraham. We studied in, in, in Romans chapter 4. So these guys are contradicting the teaching of the apostles and our Lord and the Old Testament. And verse 2, And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some of the others of them, which should, should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. The elders are pastors. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. And when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, who had believed in Jesus Christ, stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise these Gentiles and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, the Jews. And he made no distinction between us and them, Jewish believers and Gentile believers, cleansing their hearts, how? By keeping the law? No, by faith. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we, we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. All the people kept silent and they were listening to Paul and Barnabas as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done to them among the Gentiles. And now, go over to Galatians. Go over to Galatians chapter 1. Or actually, Galatians chapter 5. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Now these individuals infected the, the church and the church in Galatia who were Gentiles. They ran into problems with the Judaizers who came from the Pharisees. Now, now I'm, I'm bringing you these passages because I'm, I'm showing you why Paul 
was so concerned about the Romans falling for these people. These people will wreck their spiritual life. They will wreck the unity of the church. Look at it says in Galatians 5.1. Galatians 5.1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Not to live like hell, but to serve Jesus. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. For you've been severed from Christ. For you who are seeking to be justified by the law, you've fallen from grace, not lost your salvation. You're forgetting that you're under grace. You're not under the law, you're under grace. Look, he says in verse 5, For we through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? He knows, the Judaizers. This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Leaven speaks of evil. Little, little leaven. Well, uh, uh, well, uh, what does he say? Leavens the whole lump of dough. Little false teaching can infect the church in a big way, cause a lot of problems. Look at verse 10. I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Those Christians in the first century that caused divisions in Galatia, he's saying they will bear his, their judgment. Same thing for Christians today, who are unbelievers, who caused dissension in, in the church, in a church or any church. They will bear their judgment. If they're a believer, they're going to be disciplined. Because God loves His children, He will discipline like any good parent will when their kid gets out of line. Look what He says. Verse 11. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. You know what it means? Mutilate means castrate themselves. They're saying you want circumcision? Why don't you just go the whole way, Paul says, and cut it all off? That's what it says. That's what Paul said in the original. So he's being, uh, he's being sarcastic with them to teach them the truth. Look at verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but to love, serve one another. So go back to Romans chapter 16, verse 17. So who's Paul warning? Paul, uh, Paul, who's he warning the Romans about? These individuals that I just showed you in Galatians, Acts, and all the way back to Mark's Gospel, chapter 7. The Judaizers who stem from the Pharisees, who try to put people under the law. They, they are the individuals Paul is worried about. They dogged his ministry. They followed him wherever he went to try to contradict him and try to upset him. Look at Romans 16, 17. He says, I urge you, brethren, to keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances, contrary to the teaching which you learn, and turn away from them. Now the fact that Paul would use three chapters... And Romans, chapters 2, 3, and 4, to refute the Judaizers' teaching with his other epistles and the book of Acts revealed that, uh, that they caused divisions in the churches strongly suggest that the dissensions in Romans 16, 17 is a reference to the divisions caused by the Judaizers' legalistic teaching. So he says in verse 17, they caused dissensions or divisions. That is actually the Judaizers. How do we know that? Romans 2, 3, and 4, we taught there. What we saw in the book of Acts 
and also Galatians and other epistles of Paul. Those are the individuals that Paul was concerned about. Now again, who are the Judaizers? They originated with the Pharisees. They adhered to the teaching, to their teaching, and were uh, composed of both believing and unbelieving Jews. They taught strict adherence to the 613 mandates of the Mosaic Law. And as we saw in Mark's Gospel, they obeyed the traditions of the rabbis rather than what the Bible says. So this is important. Legalistic people and people who are into this false teaching, they reject the Scriptures. They have their own traditions. Don't miss that. The people of the churches that reject the Scriptures and reject the inspiration of Scripture and have their own ideas and their own traditions okay, that are contrary to what the Bible teaches, that's false teaching. That's false teachers. They're, people who say you have to get saved by keeping the Ten Commandments, where does my Bible say that? I'm saved by faith alone and Christ alone. Who says that you can't forget that you uh, God didn't forgive every sin? Who said that? Is the, the false teachers say there's sins you can't forgive? Show me in the Bible where that is. I see sinners galore up in heaven. David committed adultery with Bathsheba and had the guy killed to cover it up and got her pregnant. Moses murdered a man with his bare hands. Peter denied the Lord three times and he's in heaven. That's the worst sin of all time, I think, outside of betraying Jesus because you're talking about he sinned against the perfect Son of God. We sin against sinners. He, Peter, sinned against the perfect Son of God. Now show me what's a worse sin to that. And yet people, false teachers say, you can't forgive anybody though that sin. Oh, David, well, David's in heaven. You tell David that. You tell Jesus that. Okay? False teaching says, those are the things that false teachers teach today. And yet people fall for these guys because they smile nice and they look nice and they've got a head of hair that I don't have. And they have a nice set of teeth and they're pretty. And they have a nice wife. I don't have that. I'm sorry. If I have a nice wife, I'm not going to bring her out anyways. I don't want anybody to look at her. Just me. But, I mean, come on. People fall for this baloney all the time. Why do you think they watch these guys on television? What do they watch? They tell, oh, he's a, he, he, I like the way he's nice. He's a nice guy. Yeah, but he teaches false teaching. He has false teaching. He rejects the Bible. Why would you want to listen to a guy like that? But people do that. Because they don't know the Bible themselves, so therefore they can't discern what's a false teacher and what's not. So the Judaizers taught that one had to observe and practice the Mosaic Law in order to get saved, whereas Paul taught salvation by grace through faith in Christ and not through the works of the law. They followed Paul's, Paul throughout his missionary journeys, uh, seeking to discredit and destroy his ministry. That's what false teachers will do. That's what legalistic people will do. They will follow a grace teacher around and try to discredit them. And listen to me. You could do, as Paul said, you can do nothing against the truth, only for the truth. So you can go after a ministry and, and, and that's teaching the truth and grace. You can do it all you want. You're only, it's only going to backfire on Satan in the end because you can only help the truth. Now there's another factor that strongly suggests that Paul is speaking of the Judaizers here in Romans 16, 17. Because when he says the term appetites in verse 18, if you look at verse 18... 
That word is used in Philippians 3.19 for the Judaizers. Look at verse 18. For such men are slaves not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. The word appetites is sarcasm by Paul. He's saying that the Judaizers, they paid strict adherence to their, the, uh, the, the, uh, the regulations, the, uh, the laws of dietary regulations. Eating clean and unclean foods. You can't eat the unclean food. You can't eat the clean food. That is an allusion. He's alluding to that there when he uses the term appetites. So that word appetites is used in Philippians 3.19 where it's used to the Judaizers. Same word that is used in Romans 16.18. So the Judaizers' teaching is dangerous. Paul's warning them in verse 17 of Romans chapter 16. Watch out for them. What does he say in verse 17? What does he say? Look at it. It says in verse 17, I urge you, brethren, to keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learn and turn away from them. So, it would, the Judaizers' teaching would cause the Romans to sin and to go into apostasy because they would no longer be living their lives according to the Lord's teaching and of the apostles and would no longer be living according to God's grace and they would no longer, no longer be living by faith. And God wants us to live by faith and not by sight. Remember it says that in Second Corinthians 5-7? Now the scriptures also emphasize the importance of avoiding false doctrine. The Lord talked about it in Matthew 16, 12 and 17. First Timothy 6, 3-5 also talks about watching out for false teaching. And Second John 9 and 10 talks about it. Go to the end of the Bible. Go to Second John. There's only one chapter in it. It's just before Revelation and before Jude. Hurry, we're near the end here. Look at 2 John. Look at verse 9. Uh, excuse me, 2 John. Uh, look, at, uh, da, 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 da. look at verse 5. 2 John, verse 5. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which you have from the beginning, that we love one another. John is an old man when he wrote this. He's reflecting back what he heard Jesus taught the night he was betrayed. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment which, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into this world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. They don't believe that Jesus is God. The Mormons don't. And the Jehovah Witnesses don't. I ain't going to talk to you about that. I don't, don't, you're not coming in my house. I mean, a lot of these are deceived themselves. And a lot of times when a teacher comes up with those guys, I'll, 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 I'll try to save some of these kids that are following along with them. But the, the elders that are deep into this doctrine to reject Jesus Christ as God, I ain't going to have anything to do with you. Look what it says in verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who not, do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what you have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. Stern stuff, right? That's what God tells us to do. They reject my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They don't think He's God. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. How would you. If you love somebody, like I said before, if somebody said something to my father about my father or brother, or said something about one of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I wouldn't even listen to it. You're talking about somebody that I love. I don't have anything to do with you. 
That's the way I feel about Jesus, and that's the way you should feel about Jesus. That's the way you should feel about the Bible. Don't you talk that way about my, my Lord and Savior who saved me, my God. You don't talk that way, and you don't talk that way about my brother and sister in Christ. That's love. Love will protect. Now, go to Romans 16 17. We're coming near the end. We're going to close here. I know I said that earlier, but now I really mean it. <laughs> now, if you ever read, Paul does that, it's actually because God's given me new things. But if you read Philippians 3, he says, finally. And then he waits two chapters before he finally closes. So he does that a lot. So, not that I'm trying to do Paul, but that's the spirit. Look at uh, verse, uh, Romans 16 17. He says, Now I urge you, brethren, to keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and to turn away from them. Now, turn away means that the Romans were to purposely avoid association with the Judaizers. Those adhere, those who adhere to the and those who adhere to their teaching, they're to avoid. Now, this avoidance people and having no contact with false teachers was taught and practiced by the apostles and their disciples. Matthew 7, 15-29, 2 Peter chapter 2, 2 John uh, 9 and 10 we study. He said, don't, don't, don't compromise with them. Stay away from them. Avoid them. Don't even let them in your own home, is what he's saying. That's stern, that's stern stuff, and God wants us to obey that. Now look at verse 18, because in verse 18, Paul presents two reasons why the Romans were to watch out for these Judaizers and their legalistic teaching and avoid them. Look at verse 18. For such men, what men? Those who are teaching, causing divisions and dissensions in the body of Christ and were, con were teaching things that were contrary to the doctrine of the Bible. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Of their own appetites, it contains a figure of speech there where the stomach of the Judaizers is put for their strict adherence to the dietary regulations of the Mosaic Law. And when he says, by their smooth and flattering speech, that indicates that smooth speech and flattery were the means by which the Judaizers deceive immature believers. Hey, this guy's on television, Christian television, and they tell you how wonderful you are, you and I are. In Christ we are, but not in our flesh. Some of them are all about flattering you and try and flattering me, and because they want to power over you, they want your money. Okay, these individuals, these individuals will flatter you to get what they want, and you can tell the false teacher by his doctrine. And that's it. now it's on you and me. We need, need to know our Bible because so we're because we're responsible for what we let into our heads. God wants us to know our Bibles. He's given us the Spirit so we can know our Bibles, so we can discern these false teachers and protect ourselves and our families and bring glory to God and blessing to ourselves. The hearts of the unsuspecting, that refers to believers who are deficient in wisdom because they're ignorant, they're either ignorant of the Word of God or they're not fully educated in it and therefore trained to discern false teaching from accurate teaching. So people, big thing, if we want to be not, if we want to be um, suspecting and not naive, because we're not. God wants us to grow up and have wisdom. We get that wisdom from His Word. That's why I emphasize the teaching of the Word of God, people, because everything pivots off that. You want to have great fellowship? Know your Bible. You want to be a great lover, great husband, a great teacher, a great uh, employer, employee, a great pastor, a great deacon, a great Christian, a great politician in God's eyes. 
know his word. Know his word. Be a student of the Bible. Because you will never... I can't even begin to tell you the great blessings that you're going to have. And many of you are... uh, You're here because you love the word of God. You're students of the word of God. Keep doing that, people. Because you're going to bring blessing to yourselves. Because what's killing our church in America and around the world is people, Christians, don't know their Bible. Why is it Why is it that you can't lose your salvation? Do you know the chapters and verses? We studied it. Do you know Do you know why if you, can, if you confess your sin, you'll recover, you restore fellowship with God? Do you know why all your sins have been forgiven? Do you know why that no, God doesn't bring up your sins at the, at the, at the bema seat? Do you know why you believe what you believe? Because don't be like, be like a lot of Christians today. They couldn't defend the faith. They couldn't tell you why Jesus is God. They don't know the scriptures. Now whose fault is that? That's on us. So if we want to be discerning and be able to pick out those who are false teachers and not get fooled by their smooth and flattering speech, got to know our Bibles. That gives us proper judgment. Does God want us to judge? Absolutely. I hear people saying they always misquote this. Judge not, lest you be judged. They always take that out of context. Does God want you to be discerning? Judging, judgment means discerning. For instance, you parents, your kid gets out of line. When it, if your kid comes home, your teenager comes home drunk, you'd be a, a stupid and dumb parent and terrible parent if you didn't have any discernment. You have to make a judgment on that kid. That kid did something wrong. See, that's having judgment of him. But are you doing it out of love? Yes, you care about them. So you have to. So when Jesus said, "Judge not, lest you be judged," the Pharisees were guilty of condemning people. They were judging them not uh, not out of to, 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 to help them, but to actually say, "I don't. God doesn't want you. You people are rejected. You Gentiles." And he's he's saying that judge not, lest you be judged. He's saying the Judaizers and the Pharisees were like that. They would condemn people, yet they themselves were guilty of the very things they condemned condemned others for. But we want to be judging. We need to be able to evaluate and discern and judge who's a false teacher and who's not. Because that's going to protect us and our families. And to protect our church. So this is what Paul's warning me, uh, the, uh, the Roman believers about. About these false teachers. So, we've run out of time. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to study your word. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would challenge us with the things that we've heard. Guide us and direct us in making application. And we just thank you, Father, for all those who are here this morning and on the Internet. And we just pray, Father, that you would help us to uh, be more discerning, to be more serious about our relationship with you so that we can discern false teaching. And help us and encourage us in the study of your word. We pray that this study would not only be instructing to us and, and, and edify us and build us up, but also rebuke us as, as well, Father. Because we do know that to be rebuked by you is a great blessing and teaches us and teach us the right way to do things, Father. So we pray that this class would do that as well if necessary. And we just pray that you, through this service, would be lifted up and glorified. So, Father, we pray for these things in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, could, uh, we, we're now going to take uh, uh, an offering, and uh, we, uh, I don't know what Titus you're going to do. Pass it around? Okay. Yeah, and then, um, right now, before we uh, do that, I just want to thank you guys, for, for, first of all, for uh, supporting um, this ministry, and also, uh, not only here in this room, for being so gracious, and supporting this ministry uh, in its infancy, uh, with your finances, but also your support and showing up to Bible class. And I also like to thank, and they often go unthanked, but they really are 
so much a part of our ministry is all those people that are on our uh, in our internet broadcasts on Pal Talk and on the, follow us on the website who have been very gracious as well like you all have here in this room and supporting this ministry uh, with uh, their time, talent, and their treasure as well. So I want to just thank you all uh, for being so gracious to this ministry. And you're doing it for the Lord, uh, not just to, uh, to support uh, me, because it says those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel, but also you're supporting the Lord because that's what we're trying to do is get His Word out, to get the gospel of Jesus Christ out. And you will be rewarded at the Bema Seat for all that you've done, and God only knows what you've all done as individuals for the life of this church and for the Lord. So let's pray for this offering. Father, we just pray that this offering would bring great uh, joy to your people, that it would be empowered by the Spirit, that we would give out a proper motivation, not because we're looking to get noticed by people, or that we think we can get brownie points with you, we know we don't have any merit with you, but that we would do it out of love and appreciation for your Word that it's being taught here, and that love appreciation for the gift of your Son in eternal life. And, we, and all the blessings that you've given us. You gave your all, Father, and now we wish to give something, this little something back to you, which you gave to us. And we just pray that this offering would bring glory to you and minister to the body of Christ and bring many thanksgiving to you, Father. So in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And we're gonna, the song I'm going to do is Peace with God.
Who'd upstairs? 